rest of you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Certainly any visiting children who wish are welcome to join in their activities. Joshua chapter 2, God's people had uh, were preparing to cross over into the promised land. They had gathered on the other side of the Jordan River. And this is what we read happened. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my Father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will stay alive, save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills. 
or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Thus far, our reading in Joshua. Please turn now to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 1. We'll read the first six verses. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the King. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. God our Father, we do thank You for giving Your Word to us, Your living Word, the Lord Jesus, and this written Word that tells us of Him. We ask for Your help today to understand what it is You are telling us in this genealogy of Jesus that we need to know for our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, one of my father's favorite television shows was Gunsmoke. And being the oldest son, I got to watch it with him. And it became one of my favorite TV shows. Matt Dillon was the sheriff in a wild west town of Dodge City where he tried to maintain law and order in the midst of a wild and raucous population. He was kind of sweet on Miss Kitty, the half-owner of the local saloon where much of the action in the program took place. Now, a saloon in the Old West was part tavern, part restaurant, part hotel, 
with rooms on the second floor for people to stay. What I didn't realize for a long time, partly because of how young I was, and partly because of the content restrictions of 1960s television, was that Miss Kitty was not just the part owner of the saloon. She was a prostitute, a madam. And the other pretty ladies who were there in the saloon were not just waitresses, they were prostitutes. Yes, it served as a hotel, it served as a restaurant, it served as a tavern, but it also served as a place of prostitution. Miss Kitty is Rahab in 19th century America. Rahab's house wasn't just a brothel. It was a tavern, a restaurant, an inn. That's why the spies went there. It was a place where they could hide in plain sight. It was a place where men often went, where people, where travelers from out of town would go. That's where they would gather. Some for one reason and others for another reason. They hoped to hide out there so not be noticed by the king of Jericho, though it must be said that they were not very good spies at all because they no more got to Rahab's house and the king sent messengers looking for them. They had heard that Israel was just across the river, was getting ready to attack. They were nervous and keeping sharp alert for any strangers coming into the community. Now this analogy between Rahab and Miss Kitty is also helpful for understanding why we so easily miss the significance of Rahab's name in Jesus' genealogy. When we read her name, we read it and think, oh yes, she's that woman who saved the spies and helped the Israelites come into the promised land. Miss Kitty, oh, she's Matt Dillon's girlfriend. She helps him as he tries to bring law and order to Dodge City. But the first century Jew reading Rahab's name in Matthew's genealogy is not thinking, oh yes, that's the nice lady who helped the spies. They're thinking, Rahab's a Canaanite. Rahab's a prostitute. She's doubly damned. She's not only immoral, but she's an alien. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner. What is she doing in Jesus' genealogy? Well, as we noted last week, Matthew's genealogy is more than a historical list providing us information with Jesus' forebears. The careful structuring of this genealogy into groups of 14, the Highlighting of David and Abraham as his ancestors being key covenant recipients from God 
all point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, God's Savior. But I also noted that the inclusion of the names of five women in a genealogy was highly irregular and thus deliberately purposeful for helping us understand the significance of Jesus coming into our world. This genealogy is not a historical document alone. It is a theological document preparing the way for our understanding of the gospel that is going to be revealed in the person of Jesus as Matthew tells us about his life and ministry. In tying Jesus to these women, Matthew is highlighting just how good is the good news that the Savior has come into our world. Now when we look carefully at Tamar last time, we saw that though on the surface she was the bad person, she seduced her father-in-law, that she was actually a very desperate woman who herself had been sexually abused by her husband, her brother-in-law, and also her father-in-law. And that the coming of Jesus offers good news to those who are sexually abused. Now, in mentioning Rahab, Matthew highlights good news for the immoral and the alien. In running a house of prostitution, Rahab was facilitating both adultery and fornication. As a Canaanite, she is both an enemy of Israel and an alien. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 to 5, we see how the Israelites were to regard someone like Rahab. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, Then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Moses warned the people, as you cross over, as you go into the promised land, don't have anything to do with those people. You are to devote them all to destruction. Now, in Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 to 18, this is repeated again by Moses for emphasis. You must destroy the Canaanites when you enter the land so that they don't draw you away from your God and bring the wrath of God upon you, much less the nations of the Canaanites. And yet now, 
This Rahab, this Canaanite, this prostitute is included in the line of Jesus. Now, Matthew's inclusion of Rahab in genus genealogy is interesting and shocking at three levels. First of all, having already introduced Tamar into the genealogy of Christ quite dramatically in verse 3, Matthew sort of subtly slips in Rahab's name in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, And Ram the father of Minadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. By Rahab. You're still reeling from the shock of Tamar in verse 3. This woman who had seduced her father-in-law, and now boom, you're barely recovering from that, and you're sucker punched with the name of Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. But even more, this is the only place in the Bible where Rahab is said to be part of the genealogy of Jesus and tied to the line of the Messiah. The Old Testament doesn't tell us that Rahab married Salmon. Matthew obviously draws on an existing tradition that is true, but it wasn't as widely known, which would strengthen the blow. Oof! Rahab? Hosea was shocked when God told him to go and marry a prostitute. And now we're being told that a prostitute is a mother of a mother of a mother of a mother of a son of Jesus? Or a father of Jesus? How much more shocking was that? But then even more, Jesus Himself highlights the unexpected inclusion of a prostitute into His own genealogy in terms of God's kingdom ahead of Pharisees in Matthew 21. If you turn to Matthew 21... Jesus is speaking to the church leaders. And in verse 28, they have been challenging him and now he is challenging them back. They just had challenged his authority. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. It was shocking what Jesus says here to them. That tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get into heaven ahead of you, the leaders of religion in Israel. 
How shocking was it then that Matthew would begin his gospel by saying that a Canaanite prostitute was in the line of Jesus. By including her name in his genealogy, Matthew is declaring that Jesus is not ashamed to be identified with foreigners, with Canaanites. He is not ashamed to be identified with prostitutes. He is not ashamed of his human heritage. There is good news for those who are immoral, for those who are alien, for those who are sinful, for those who are outsiders. Whether you're a prostitute, a hitman, a drug dealer, or a thief, whether you're a Muslim, a Hindu, or an out-and-out atheist, there is hope for you in Jesus. You are not condemned by your past if you will turn to Jesus in the present. What matters is not your past action or your past circumstance, but rather your present faith. You see, what makes Rahab different, as bad as she was from a moral standpoint, as bad as she was from a racial standpoint, where God had said, you do not intermarry, you do not intermix, you put them all to the sword because they will draw you into sin. The difference for Rahab was her faith. The whole structure of Joshua chapter 2 points us in that direction. We see in Joshua 2.1 that Joshua sends men into the land. We see in Joshua 2 verses uh, 22 and 24 that the men return to Joshua. So those are the bookends of the passage. In Joshua 2, verses 2 to 7, we have the whole question of the survival of the spies. Would they survive upon entering? In Joshua 2, verse 15 through 21, we have the survival of the spies again. Will they escape? And smack dab in the middle of the passage are verses 8 through 14 where Rahab gives an amazing testimony of faith. So amazing that the writer to Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31 counts Rahab, this Canaanite that should have been put to death, this prostitute that should have been stoned, He says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, why did she give this friendly welcome to the spies? Well, notice what she says in verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, 
when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. She acknowledges God and His might. We know that these things have happened. We know that God has acted on your behalf. The might of God. He is there. He is real. He is a living presence. But then she goes on to speak of the majesty of God. In verse 11, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Not only is He a mighty God, He is the sovereign God. No matter where you go, in the heavens above or on the earth beneath, He is God. And she affirms that He is God. Not He is one of the gods. You see, the Canaanites had a whole pantheon of gods, a whole army of gods covering all the different realms of life. So when she says that Yahweh is God, both in heaven above and on earth below, there was no room for any other gods. She was acknowledging the majesty of the one true God and saying there are. The gods of my people are not gods at all. And then she appeals to the mercy of God. In verse 12 or 13, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have kindly dealt with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She knows what is her destiny. She will be put to death. That was the decree of God. The enemies of God would have to be destroyed for His people to come into the land. And so she appeals through the spies to God's mercy. It was this vision of God that God is both sovereign, that He is powerful, but also that He might be merciful that caused her to lie to the messengers of the king and say, oh no, the men left. They actually went out the gate back to the river. Now we in the West, when we read this story, we get all hung up over Rahab's lie. Was she right to lie or was she wrong to lie? And the narrator doesn't tell us. The narrator isn't concerned about the rightness or wrongness of that lie, what he wants us to see is her faith. She had now aligned herself with the Israelites so that, in a real sense, she was no longer a Canaanite. You could ask a similar question. Did Jesus disobey the law which said you don't touch lepers when He reached out and touched the leper? The law said you don't do that. Was Jesus sinning when He did that? No, because when He touched the leper, the leper was no longer a leper. And by faith, you see, Rahab had placed herself under the God of Israel so that this woman that was a foreigner, this woman that was a deep sinner, 
was now not to be rejected, but rather to be embraced. And dear friends, that's good news. That's good news for you. If you are an overt sinner, acting in rebellion against God, against His law, or maybe you're a covert sinner. It's possible that even in the church that there are some of you struggling secretly with deep sins against God. It became very apparent with all this chaos recently in Washington when a pro-life, pro-family congressman was exposed when an email was released in which he was appealing to his mistress to abort the baby that he thought he had conceived with her. So much for pro-family and pro-life. It's possible. The good news of Jesus is that even to someone caught up in that, secretly or overtly, there is hope because Jesus is willing to identify with a prostitute. And maybe you're from another culture or maybe you're from another land far away and maybe you feel like you're an outsider and you never have quite felt accepted here in the United States. And if you're here today, I hope at least that you felt some sense of acceptance here. But Jesus is saying to you, you don't need to be an outsider. I am willing to embrace you. I am willing to include you in my family. If you have the faith of Rahab, trusting that God is sovereign, that God is powerful, and that He is merciful, and that He sent His Son into this world to die for sinners. The Jesus that Matthew is introducing us to. You see, he's already introducing us to Him even in the genealogy by mentioning Rahab that he would be identified with such a one. I urge you to put your trust in Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, is that Jesus has come into the world. That's what Matthew's talking about here. That It's this Jesus who is identified with Tamar, who is identified with Rahab. This is a Jesus that has come. And you need not feel excluded because you're all, in a sense... He's already identified you, whatever your circumstance, whatever your race, whatever your background. You don't need to be an outsider if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus who comes to include you in the salvation that He offers. But this is also a message for us who do believe genuinely. We can become uncomfortable around gross sinners, drug addicts, prostitutes, criminals, people who are different than us. Sometimes we can wrongly profile people. Oh, I couldn't share the gospel with that person. They would never believe. Their life is so contrary, so antagonistic. Why? No, it's, it's not even worth it. My time. Dear friends, who are we to make judgments about other people? When Jesus is willing 
to be identified with a prostitute as one of his ancestors in his royal line. Jesus embraces sinners. He welcomes sinners to come and put their trust in him. How can we not tell others of the love of such a Savior? For people who feel marginalized, who feel alienated, and who often are by the rest of the population. We should not condemn people for their heritage or even for their occupation. What we should do is love them enough to tell them why Jesus has come. Why Christmas is such a big celebration for us. Because God has come into the world to save outsiders for all of us by our sins are outside of God's family. And it is only because Jesus has come to pay the penalty for our sins that any could now be a part of His family. Whether a foreigner whether a deeply immoral person, there is hope if you will but call out to Jesus, the Jesus who has come. There is good news in Matthew's genealogy for those who are willing to hear it. May God open your hearts today that you might hear the wonderful news that Jesus, who was a distant son of Salmon by Rahab has come into the world. He will not reject you outright because of your heritage. He calls to you, even through this genealogy, that you can trust Him. And if you do, that He will save you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how amazing is Your grace that people that we would consider outsiders, that people we would consider immoral, that people we would consider untouchable in one sense or another because of our sinfulness would be the very people that contributed to Your genealogy. That You would have shown favor to Rahab Not because you approved of her lifestyle, but because you were drawing her out of it. Not because the Canaanites were good people, but because you were making her, by your grace, an Israelite as she put her trust in you and placed her allegiance under you. Oh Lord, may you work in our hearts that our trust would be in Jesus that our allegiance would be to Him, and that we would look not to our own righteousness, but to His righteousness as the only basis for our acceptance and our salvation. And so, our Father, we dedicate ourselves anew this day to serve You, to serve You in this world. Give us opportunity in this season we call Christmas, to bear witness to a God of such love that people that the world would shrink from in grace, by their faith in Jesus, 
he is willing to embrace. We, Lord, do now come together, not just as a church, but the elders as a session. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.